Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading, and I am joined on the podcast today by my colleague, Kelsey Zeiser. And our guest today is Chris Pearson. He is the president of 5G Americas. And on this show, we'll talk about COVID-19 and the effect that it's having on the progress of 5G in the Americas. Um, We'll also talk about what we're expecting from standalone 5G as the standards get uh, closer to being completed there and the technology starts making its way to market. And we'll also find out from Chris if he thinks that uh, there's going to be any impact um, on consumer demand for 5G. Uh, And we also get into a little bit about uh, the difference that 5G will make in the IoT market as well. So we cover quite a bit of ground, and uh, it's a pretty uh, uh, a quick and enlightening conversation, and we will get to it right after this break. Okay, uh, joining us on the Light Reading Podcast uh, obviously, we have Kelsey Zeiser as ever. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. And our guest today is Chris Pearson from the uh, from Five G Americas. Hi, Chris. Hi. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Doing well. Thanks for uh, for being on with us. Um, so we want to talk about uh, well, we want to talk about Five G in America. I think that's a, a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, the the you know the uh, the biggest you know thing kind of uh, you know affecting the entire industry and and everybody's lives you know at the moment of course is COVID nineteen and the pandemic and I, I think a place for us to start would be to talk about what's uh, what's happening with the progress of five G uh, you know as we get uh, you know closer to the next release and to non-standalone 5G, what's the uh, pandemic, uh, how has that been affecting uh, the, the progress of 5G in the, in the industry, especially in, uh, in North America? Yeah, I'd say that you know, with the COVID-19 crisis and uh, a big shout out to all the frontline workers out there and, and first responders that are out there helping all of us, you know, it, it, it shows that how important, you know, connectivity is. And we have this uh, need, obviously, for to flatten that curve and social distancing. But social distancing, in essence, is physical distancing, um, doing what you would normally do, but just not next to people at the office or wherever you might be. So uh, we see great progress at 5G uh, in the, the U.S. We've seen the, uh, the, the major national operators uh, continue to so- show their commitment to making sure that they're progressing and getting 5G rolled out, as well as you know continue to fortify their networks to to serve the customers. So we have seen uh, a real commitment to continue their 5G rollouts, knowing how important uh, connectivity is not just today, uh, but tomorrow as we as we face this crisis. So it it sounds like. Um the pandemic hasn't had a huge impact on um, slowing those efforts around 5G deployments. Is that right? Uh, No, we haven't seen any public comments from any of the national operators that have said that they've slowed down. In fact, some of them have um, just recently on their earnings calls reiterated their commitment 
to not only uh, you know the current networks of LTE Advance, but also their 5G deployments. And if you look at the you know North America, uh, you know U.S. specifically, we we are one of the leaders uh, in the 5G world. Um, there are you know other areas that also have um, leading 5G deployments, but you know overall, if you look kind of at the the networks worldwide. Um, you know, uh, North America is definitely one of the leaders in terms of deployments and subscriptions uh, and capabilities of their 5G networks. Um, we we expect, well, right now we're at 69 deployments worldwide. Um, and by the end of the year, we still expect about 200. There will be some regions that have uh, stated that they'll be a, bit, a little bit slower um, mm -hmm. as far as the rollouts, but the U.S. is not one of them. Um, like I said, we have a real commitment to moving um, really onward and upward with 5G deployments, and that's great to see as a as a person that you know facing this COVID-19 issue um, with their family and friends and everybody like yourselves uh, working from home. Um, it's nice to, nice to see that commitment from the U.S. operators. Yeah, it's moving uh, uh, moving uh, along quickly. Um, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the the LTE advanced build outs too, because that's also a critical part of, you know, the connectivity that we all need and that we're all dependent on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that's still, that's still become, uh, you know, it, it gets, uh, not, not talked about quite as much as the new 5g build outs because they're new, but, um, you know, LTE every single day is improving and, uh, you know, the, the, not just the reach, but the throughput as well. Um, one of the uh it, it well it reminds me that this you know that the the evolution of the mobile network is always a progression so we're always you know uh progressing from one stage to the next um the next big stage or big kind of mile marker that we see in 5g at least at least to my mind is is non-standalone you know when we get to this point of uh having real cloud-based uh mobile cores and things like that um you know, at 5G Americas, what what's your sort of positioning on how quickly we're going, you know, we're going to arrive at non-standalone? When are you expecting it? And and what sorts of things do you look for that state of 5G to unlock? Yeah, so, you know, standalone is actually, as you mentioned, uh, a very important milestone, and there's a lot to it. Um, it is uh, when you start to look at a standalone, um, you know, core network technology, um, with uh, 5G uh, new radios, um, you really get really toward what would be kind of uh, the overall master architecture of the 5G network, what was, uh, you know, implied in the vision of 5G. So we have seen uh, continued progress uh, on 5G standalone. Um, most of the operators um, are working very hard uh, with their vendors uh, on testing and trialing. And most of them um, around the world, I would say, not just in the US, but around the world, the leading operators um, have stated that they will be begin some of the transition to 5G standalone uh, in uh, 2020. Now, we haven't seen um, anyone back down at this time from those public statements that, that were made. Uh, the, the Obviously, the the big question becomes, well, will COVID-19 slow down perhaps not the 5G deployments, but could it actually slow down the, the, the increase in the capabilities and features that would be associated with maybe a standalone technology deployment? 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, I have not seen any of those announcements that have backed down yet. Um, but you have to understand that when you start to move from uh, 5G, um, you know, non-standalone to a standalone, um, it takes a, a lot more um, capabilities as far as resources, human resources, technology resources. And every operator that I know um, in my 25 plus years in the industry wants to make sure things are perfect before it gets deployed commercially. So again, I think we've seen great progress. We've seen announcements even by operators and their vendors in the United States on their trials and tests. We've seen their commitment. So um, it looks like the the, the transition uh, will begin uh, sometime in, in 2020. And uh, that's, you know, there's not a lot of operators out there in the world that are uh, pounding their fist at this time because of COVID-19 issues on the standalone. But mm-hmm. um, again, I think the U.S. is one of the leaders and there is a, a big commitment to uh, continue to progress for our citizens of the United States during this crisis. Hey, uh, Kelsey, before you ask your question, let me uh, let me uh, uh, fall on my sword for a second. I asked about non-standalone, but of course, as he as as Chris inferred, my intention was to talk about standalone. So I, I just had <laughs> I had non-standalone on the brain because that's where we're at now. What we're going toward is standalone. So my absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's a big transition. And, and that's a it's a great question. I know you're falling on your sword here, but it really is a great yeah, question. Just, because a yeah, terrible we are doing journalist. With 5G um, <laughs> throughout the you know the nation, um, and you've seen big commitments. Uh, but you know, yeah. going from NSA to SA is a big commitment too. Indeed. Um, so switching gears just a little bit, uh, you've posted or 5G Americas has submitted a few uh, really interesting reports on light readings, 5G exchange. And one of them was on uh, 5G, the future of IoT. Uh, what are some of the use cases for 5G powered IoT and, and what's the real catalyst for, for 5G in the IoT market? I think you probably the one of the, the what I would say the, the, the bigger you know, heavy weights to lift when it comes to IoT is you know, how do you support the massive IoT opportunity out there. And when you look at LTE, the way it was designed, and then we had to actually move back to the standard and, and then actually uh, really kind of modify it for IoT, what we're doing with 5G and IoT is from the very beginning looking at architecture that will uh, move us from supporting millions of devices to billions and billions of devices. Mm-hmm. And at a, at a basically, an, with a network architecture that would provide you competitive efficiencies against other uh, proprietary solutions out there or even unlicensed solutions. So when it comes to say, what are the uh, you know, types of IoT opportunities, uh, you could actually think about IoT connections, even from a standpoint of things like when you start connecting your car uh, mm-hmm. to your city. Um, you know, cell, cellular V2X has been around um, as a term, but what we're looking at as we go to 5G, more capabilities with that. And uh, same with, uh, and when I say, you know, the, 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 the cellular V2X with 5G, it's, it's really connecting it to everything. So it's the pedestrian that you don't see around that corner. It's the bicycle mm-hmm. that's in your blind spot. It's your entertainment system for your kids that are in the back. 
It's for your traffic congestion that helps you get through your city so that we don't keep spending billions and billions of dollars on tunnels and bridges and roads, but start to put them into the connectivity uh, uh, pot instead of the uh, infrastructure pot, pot in the normal sense of infrastructure. There's also lots of areas um, with industrial IoT where if you go into an automated factory today, what you see is, yeah, a lot of great automation, mm -hmm. but a lot of limitations because of uh, cabling and uh, uh, basically access points or endpoints. And so what happens when you start to think about sensors and logistics and uh, not having uh, the uh, any of the cabling, you start to see about automated processes that are not only just on your factory floor, but even outside your factory floor. So that the whole entire uh, automated factory becomes a mesh network inside and outside your factory. So those are just a couple of the examples, but there's a lot of opportunities, but the, the, the key heavyweight or heavy lift here for our technology is to get to an architecture where we support not just millions of devices, mm -hmm. but billions of devices and sensors. Okay, that makes sense. And that reminds me a little bit of a recent um, video we also posted to the 5G exchange from Verizon on their efforts around connected cars and echoed what you were saying about how it, um, it's more than just, you know, the technology in the car. It's also um, helping alert you to, you know, what pedestrians might be doing, um, perhaps traffic patterns, um, I think the pedestrian thing would be really helpful for me at night because a lot of people walk in my neighborhood with dark clothing on. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, well, actually, you know, it, it, it's quite interesting because you've seen some insurance companies um, make announcements or advertisements that they're because of this COVID-19 and fewer people are actually driving, that they're giving uh, refunds up to like 25% for a month or two or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it is actually kind of interesting to think about how many people uh, because we're flattening the curve, we're working from home. Mm -hmm. um, they're yeah. still productive, and yet, uh, if you if you start to think about how we deal with congestion in what would be considered the legacy manner, our legacy manner of dealing with congestion is to build bridges, dig tunnels, and build more roads. Mm -hmm. Those roads, by the time they're built, typically are full. But what happens if you start to implement, uh, you know, investments in infrastructure and sensors and things like that? that allow you to build your infrastructure in the broadband sense and even start yeah. to manage the 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 some of the, or or provide guidelines on the timing of when you should be commuting and when you shouldn't be commuting and and things like that there's a lot of opportunity for saving lives but there's also mm -hmm. a lot of uh, opportunity for efficiencies if we can manage congestion differently than we have in kind of our legacy manners that we've done in the last 40 years yeah, that would be great. We have a stretch of highway here that we call the 40 parking lot because it just gets so <laughs> terrible during rush hour. Um, luckily, I, I don't have to like take that that path anywhere around five o'clock. But even, you know, anywhere from four to 7 p.m., it's just you don't you don't want to go that way if you can yeah. avoid it. So um, having those kind of insights would really be helpful once um people are returning to their commutes and you know perhaps some people will continue working from home and that'll also alleviate some of that congestion yeah i yeah. was gonna say one of the you know we talk a lot about network traffic patterns having changed uh yeah you know since the COVID 19 pandemic sent everybody home 
um, actual traffic patterns are about to change as well. I, th- I think it was Twitter. One one of the big web scale companies had said that they were um, giving their their workers permission to work from home indefinitely um, to just simply say like, hey, if it's if if being at home, you know, at, at your you know at your job is okay for you, then even when we go back to the office, you don't have to, um, you know, come, come back, come back to the office full time. And I think, I think that's, especially in cities like San Francisco, where I think, I think Twitter's headquarters is uh, Mm -hmm. south of market in San Francisco, one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. And also one of the most congested, uh, you know, thoroughfares in the world uh, going up, uh, up the Bay area to, uh, Twitter headquarters. That's a that's a big big step, and uh, I think boy, that just that tells me that you know the kind the the type and variety of connectivity that we have as uh, as consumers and as uh, you know work from home folks is uh, is definitely going to just only increase in importance as we go. Yeah, and if you offer the flexibility of working partially from home and partially from work. Um, you can really start to, you know, target the non-congested times where your mm-hmm. employees yeah. make uh, probably more productive and more happy. And and there's going to be a lot lot to that, I think, uh, as we look to the future. It, it seems like folks are actually working more on the weekends. Um, I imagine especially parents with, um, you know, young kids that are just trying to balance everything. Uh, so in some ways, it, it seems like um, workers are almost more productive at home, whereas, you know, previously employers were concerned that they would just be, you know, maybe napping and doing laundry all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so Chris, we'll end on this. Um, what is the uh, thing that we can expect, you know, in, in the in the U.S. and in North America, what's the uh, uh, the next kind of mile markers for for 5G as uh, as you as you see it in terms of uh, progress of not just the technology, but maybe the adoption, um, you know, and, and maybe if you want to if this is a an easy answer, do you think that uh, that the COVID nineteen pandemic is going to affect the consumer demand one way or the other as far as that goes? Yeah, I think the next progress uh, really is continued uh, deployments of the five G uh, networks, so that the coverage continues to uh, get better with five G, and that we also get uh, more and more devices uh, in the hands of consumers and business people uh, that that utilize the five G networks. Um, it's very difficult to know for sure if uh, the demand side um, will be affected because um, I think the big unknown is is today's economy and tomorrow's economy with COVID nineteen, um, and also the fact that you know many of the retail stores that are kind of the typical areas for the consumer to browse and and buy um, are are not open, although they are starting to reopen. Um, but the online is becoming uh, a bigger and bigger channel, which we all knew it was big already, but uh, continues to get bigger. So it, I think it's it's the, really the milestones are again, you know, we're going to see continued increases in network coverage of 5G, uh, con- continued growth in su- the subscriptions of of the technology. In fact, if you kind of look out. Um, down to 2023, we still are projecting about 200 million uh, 5G subscribers uh, by 2023 in, in in North America. And then the third area will be this this tr- this this trend to start to move to 
the more features and capabilities um, as there's a transition to standalone um, that's going to you know start by the end of this year again it's a, it's a, it's just the beginning of that process i i believe but for most operators but then you get to more of the true architecture and and a lot more feature capabilities uh with 5g than what we're than what we're showing right now with just kind of the enhanced mobile broadband family of use cases. Um, when you go to standalone, you get many more capabilities of your network. And I think that will be um, a, a big milestone uh, starting you know, again later this year, most likely. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Chris. It's uh, been a pleasure speaking with you and hope you continue to stay safe and healthy uh, during the pandemic. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. And um, if people do want any more information from us, um, we have a very active website at, uh, at 5gamericas.org, O-R-G. And uh, again, you guys stay safe and stay healthy and I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Chris. That is it. That's our show. Thanks so much to Chris Pearson from 5G Americas for his time and insights today. Thanks to our producer, Tian Fu, because if it weren't for him, you wouldn't hear any of this. Thanks to you, dear listener, because if you weren't paying attention, we wouldn't be able to get away with doing all of this at work or at home or wherever we might be connecting from in the uh, pandemic uh, world. Uh, please do tell a friend to subscribe and thanks so much for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. And please do check out the 5G Exchange. Uh, Kelsey Zeiser is our curator of content for the 5G Exchange. Everything that gets posted on that site has to pass muster with her. And uh, and and she's a, a, a very accomplished gatekeeper in that regard. Um, and also Chris Pearson and people like that who are leading voices in the industry are frequent contributors to the content on the 5G Exchange. So please do check that out. It's at uh, www.the5gexchange.com. And I believe in the podcast, uh, Chris Pearson uh, also plugged uh, his site and I'll, I'll, I'll do the same uh, for him. That's, uh, uh, that's uh, 5gamericas.org. So go to 5gamericas.org. Also go to the5gexchange.com. And thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast.